Welcome to episode 19 of Design Much, how to understand the different UX design disciplines with Jeff Carter. Yeah, we're excited to have you. Um, we have some questions for you. Um, so to get started off, um, what are some different types of like UX disciplines? Like, just just go broad here. Like, what what are the different types that we we see here in the industry? Yeah. So to get into this topic, I actually um, asked an interview question a whole bunch of times. This is kind of why I started getting interested on this. And one of them was I work in a, in software design for enterprise level grade software. And um, the question I always would ask is, what aspects of software design do you like more than other UX industries? And the person would always just sit there. And I was like, (laughs) did I ask the wrong question? Like, there's something blank here. And so it actually really started getting it started making me think what differences are there between all the different jobs we do. And as I've kind of gone through that question over and over, over the years, I've started identifying, well, what, where do people come from? What have you been designing in the past? And it's kind of started helping me break it down so far. And this is obviously a great opportunity for the UX industry to talk more about this, but start identifying them in kind of five buckets so far, Hmm. and that's informational design. You think about websites and um, all the information of how people are gathering information. The next being software, which kind of has two levels, either small team software, all the way up to a second tier, which is more of the enterprise, where you might have an admin and people with different permissions. Then you think of e-commerce, everything that goes into an e-commerce website. Then you have that the whole world of apps, games, VR, all of those experiences, and then service design. Straight up, what's the experience? Service design is kind of split off from UX now, but it doesn't mean someone in UX couldn't go do it. Yeah. So I've really started trying to dig into what are the differences in there, and could that help our conversations when we hire people? Or when we identify what skills people have. Yeah, so it would be the important part of that, like, uh, of just knowing, everybody knowing those differences. Why would that, like, why would that help? Why would that, you know, like you're talking about, why would that be a benefit to us? Yeah, so one of the things I like to refer back to, because I come from an industrial design background, but in school, when you were in industrial design, it wasn't, you're going to be an industrial designer, go find a job they'd help start asking you what kind of complexity do you like to solve for? So if we take an example from the industrial design world, which essentially is UX for 3D products, and you said, what goes into creating a car and what goes into creating shoes? And a lot of our schooling started being based off if you were interested in one of those more than the other. You think of a car, there's safety regulations, it has to hook up to electrical systems, it has a lot of different skills that you have to know there compared to shoes, which is now stitching materials, how comfortable it is. There's a lot of different skill sets there. And so 
one of the things I've really tried to start breaking down is what are different tier skills? So are there, is there a tier one? Every UX designer needs a certain set of skills. And then is there the secondary tier of more specific to these different types we talked about? So for instance, someone who designs enterprise software, do you know enough about permission models, how that works, how it <laughs> modifies views, how you give security to people versus someone who might do a fun game and put it on the, on the, put the app out there for people to play with each other. Completely different scenarios and different skill sets you need, but that's more of a secondary tier rather than primary. Yeah. So it's, it becomes more like what are the core what are core UX principles in that tier one you're talking about? And then from there, like what are the what are the main ones in those other areas? Yep. Sort of. That's yeah, interesting. Exactly. Yeah. Kind of bringing design down into more like tracks. Sort mm-hmm. of. Well, and what's interesting about that is a lot of times we hear, what's the UX unicorn? Mm-hmm. And they never exist. And we wonder, <laughs> why don't they exist? Because as a UX industry, we don't typically take the conversation to what is that individual trying to apply their skills to? So maybe someone that's working more informational or maybe working more app-based might be able to go from design all the way through code. But going back to the industrial design, would you expect the designer to design the whole car and figure out the electrical system and the brake system mm-hmm. and all of that? So I think by understanding that there's different skills for different areas, then we don't have to have this unicorn conversation anymore. Yeah. We can start saying, <laughs> does this person have the appropriate skills for the UX industry that they would want to work in? Yeah. But then how do we argue with other designers on Twitter if we don't have that? <laughs> we, we understand that now. Then it's like, oh, they're cool. Whatever. Is that what you're all about, Patrick? You just want to be able to argue with people? <laughs> Isn't that what the design Twitter is? No. It, Isn't it's, it product designers it's, it's what it, on e-commerce designers because they're bad designers because they don't do visual design and then back and forth? <laughs> that's it, the whole point? I don't know if that's the whole point. That's what it's turned into, but maybe after this conversation we can actually evolve into something better. Oh, right? we'll always have something to argue about. <laughs> Should we be close? UX designers designer or product designers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There'll always be something. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so, like, what other, like, like, what have you learned? Like, so you said you came from the, the industrial design background. Yep. How can you take something from another discipline and apply it to, a, like, like a, a traditional software UX discipline? Like, how do you actually translate that from one discipline to another? So I think it all comes down to kind of that tier one and tier two set of skills. If you look at like an industrial designer, for instance, what are their core things they are asked to do? Go out, do discovery with the customers, sketch, do ideation, create a whole bunch of prototypes, do a final visual, launch it, see how it works. I think I just described UX too, right? Yes, you did. Discipline. Yep. Discipline. So then really what it becomes is those tier two skills. So where I went out and did medical devices for a while, that has nothing to do with software. But all the skills that I had there were applicable to be able to come over. So now I'm learning all those tier two skills. What does it mean to to look at software from um, code base? Do I understand how code works? Can I talk to the developers in the appropriate way? 
And I think that's where the, that second tier of skills comes in is being able to translate your design intent into whatever medium. Mm -hmm. So if that medium's 3D or it's 2D, that's just about the medium, not about the skill, the core skill. Awesome. No, that's, that's, that's just such an interesting concept. Like to me, like break that down because I'm thinking like it, where I'm at now, it's like from a hiring standpoint where it's like that would definitely help out in hiring because half the resumes I get like aren't even qualified. Like we even get industrial design resumes, you know, cause they don't, cause we say product design. So then they just apply. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but even, but even just, even if it was just even in software digital design, like knowing somebody's background ahead of time and knowing the nuances of the differences between those two. Um, yeah, that would be, that would be fantastic to know ahead of time. And, and be able to communicate that and for the for the candidates to know that that's what they're actually applying for too. Yeah. And if if the industry was really out there understanding, hey, when I apply for an uh, enterprise level UX job, it's probably roughly going to have certain skills going to be required instead of what do we do? Two years UX experience, 10 years yeah. UX experience. Well, what kind of experience? Yeah. What did you actually do during those 10 years? So digging one level deeper, because I know like in software, just in software, if you have, so you kind of laid out like informational software, e-commerce, apps, games, VR, and then service design, just in software, um, I think there's a difference too between like an in-house and an agency because mm -hmm. there's product design and agency and product design in-house. Yep. Are there other disciplines that would be required to like sort of have or teach in that regard too, even if they're like kind of the same product. Yeah. And what's interesting about these is just because they're, they might be broken out this way. doesn't mean that even a company doesn't have a couple of these. So to your point is some of it outward facing software versus internal software for maybe the IT team to work on. Yeah. Or is it that the UX team isn't just this product based but they work also on the marketing website or they mark, they work on uh, products for partners, for instance, it could be a whole combination of these in one company or the company could just be focused on one of them. Yeah. <clears throat> well, that's a good point. Cause I know here we have an in-house marketing team and they have their websites and their community sites and all that stuff, which can get their UX doesn't get, as complicated as our UX and the product, but there still is some pretty complicated interactions that need to be handled on those. So yeah, like we don't have a UX designer. We mostly have graphic designers. Yep. Yeah. And it's hmm. an interesting space to start thinking about too, of is UX complicated interactions or is that understanding the user's experience and how do we monitor that? Yeah. So you think here, in-house, how do you guys track on the product side what success means for a user and for them, how do they track it? So a lot of times you think about from a marketing perspective, time on page, clicks, how long did they stay on site? Did How quick did they abandon? On the software side, they might have one of your pages up for four days yeah. and you don't care because maybe <laughs> it's a dashboard running yeah. or you know that they're on a complex page. And so even just the metrics that we use to track 
in the same company can be completely different depending on how we want to manipulate the user's experience. Yeah, the goals are way different. I can think uh, like on a marketing site, their forms are designed to be efficient, right? Like go through them um, and because they, they only just show up once. They're putting in their email address and information and then they send it off to us yep. versus like uh, our forms like here, here we have a lot of forms and they're really complex and they're editable. So you go back, the same user can go back to that same form time and time again. So there's yep. there's UX considerations for that and affordances for that that we have to provide that they know that that thing's been updated and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That is kind of crazy to think about like that difference. Like uh, I can call, we can call ourselves UX designers and over at Underbelly they have UX designers, but we're totally different like probably dramatically different designers. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's where we get hung up sometimes on saying, what should a UX designer be? Instead of saying, like I already said, there's this core set of skills everybody's going to need as a UX designer, but what's that secondary tier? And when we start identifying what that is, man, we could have a lot better conversations. Yeah, it'd be way more isolated. Start moving that industry inside that like just inside informational right like you can start moving the needle on that and be better at informational stuff well and agencies like you say with underbelly is interesting because how many different products do they work on mm-hmm. like that team might cover all of these plus internet of things which i didn't even discuss yeah. here or videos or all sorts of other experiences that we traditionally don't even think about so agencies are the fun ones because you never know what kind of project you're going to be on yeah creative agencies can be can be really wild from print design to video editing to all kinds of stuff yeah fun challenge to hire one of those i bet yeah (laughs) that's why they hire designers that are really really good (laughs) all the smart people go there (laughs) um I was going to ask you about too about more about service design. You kind of brought up service design as one of those, um, as one of the disciplines. I'm curious into I'm curious about service design. It's something I, I don't think I realized existed until maybe a few years ago. Yeah. But uh, just to just for me and for our audience or the one guy listening to us right now. <laughs> yep. Uh, what what is service design? What kind of role does it play in a company? Yeah. Like, so I'm going to do a very poor justice and try a lot of people. <laughs> But one of my favorite examples is you think of any industry where, um, or any company where maybe the customer comes in contact with a lot of different touch points throughout. So in software, which I'm more familiar with, you think about, do we design the process from someone coming into our pipeline, exploring what the company is, how we demo, to implementation. Now all of a sudden they have bugs with the system, they want to request new features all the way through their life cycle of being with the customer or with our company. If we don't design that, are they getting different experiences across the board? Mm-hmm. So in UX service design can be um, looking all the way across all of those touch points. Service design also tends to be big in the physical space. So one of my okay. favorite examples that I always latch on to and love was um, one of the hospitals kept having patients that just wouldn't do very well with their CT scans. Most of it was adolescents, kids coming in for a scan, and they'd have to scan them and rescan them, and it was costing the <laughs> hospital a lot of money because it was taking so long. So they actually had designers come in 
and start understanding the experience. Where was the tension? Where was the frustration? Well, to make a long story short, the hospital actually painted their CT scanners to look like a pirate ship. And they told the kids, we're going to put you in a spot so that you don't get caught. So you got to lay really still and really quiet. You might hear crazy sounds going off, but you're going to be in a safe spot. And every kid that would come in after that, they would run them through this thing. And the amount of scan time went significantly down because the hospital decided to check what was the experience, what were the major pain points. And it wasn't really the service designs team that said, this is the fix. They mapped it out, showed the biggest pain points. Another team was able to come in, be creative, and solve those problems. Solve the problem. Yep. Yeah. No, that's that's an interesting, that's an interesting uh, story. That's I can see that being internally like it, like here too, having a having a service design discipline at any software development SaaS company, because we have onboarding experiences yep. for internal employees. Yep. We've got uh, like our sales, our sales to customer service to. What, what is it? Marketing to sales to customer service experience. Like, who's watching out for that? Who's designing that? Who's looking at the pain points for that? We're looking at it from an interface standpoint. And once they've logged in, how do they use our application? But yep. I don't think we look at beyond like what is their experience from the marketing all the way in to where they first you know make a complaint to uh, customer service. Yeah, and that's one thing we've really been focusing a lot on at RisePoint is very on there, I set the expectation that we have two teams. One is the UX team and one is the UI team, Mm. even though we call ourselves all UX designers (laughs) because we're all still using those principles. But we want a core part portion of our company to be this group that can go solve problems throughout the whole user experience or like you say, the internal people getting started. So one of the projects our team's been working on is we're actually figuring out how do we educate new people that come into the company to get them up to speed exactly on Mm. who our customers are, what industries do we serve, and because that was a huge pain point. It would take us six months, eight months to really get someone to get Um. understanding what we actually do (laughs) because our software is so complex. So we've actually gone through a whole design experience just for onboarding employees, and it's crazy how much better it is. Yeah, But how many companies... Just say our UX team is on the product. They don't travel other departments when in reality we have the skills to go do the service design across the whole company. Yeah. That has bugged me. So I have one thing that's bugged me to every company I've worked at being, being somebody that looks at UX, right? Yep. Um, Is anytime we have a company party and they bring in food. Okay. What what are the first things that this bugs me every time? What are the first things they put on the table? Fork and silverware. Fork and freaking spoon and silverware. Yep. <laughs> I'm like, no, that's at the end. Give me the plate. And I think I think in structure, uh, we like Kyle Jensen, my boss, he would get angry. And uh, I, I, one time we made an attempt to fix it, and then the catering people jacked it all up. So yep. like, never mind. They're not going <laughs> to listen to us. <laughs> Just need to get tables with very specific uh, icons on there of where different yeah. things go. Like the like the hammer, like the. The hammer and stuff on the in, in your garage, how you have the outlines. Exactly. Put that all up there. Yep. So people know right where to put it. <laughs> I think, uh, Jeff, you may have a a uh, this tablecloth business, catering tablecloth business. I think you just started a business. Oh, yeah. Come up with some <laughs> nice icons, print it on 
Ooh, might have to think on that yeah. one. <laughs> Little squares for napkins. Yep. <laughs> um, so going kind of more toward the advice for our listeners, people listening, um, how would you recommend like the, the designers discover those differences uh, from different design industries? Like where, where would they start? Yeah, that's actually, I think, the hardest thing. As I've been going <laughs> this, I was like, there's got to be research out there where people have talked or articles that people have talked about this exact thing. And it's crazy how much we don't really, we don't have that information as a UX Mm -hmm. industry. So what I've been starting to do is actually just reach out to different directors and say, I realize that you work in e-commerce. We have jane.com locally, overstock.com. What do they look for? Do they look for someone who wants to do A-B testing? Do they want someone who can ideate on smaller things and run it through testing in live code? Or do you talk to someone that works in software and say, what are the core skills? And you find out, oh, software people need to solve complex problems. So I think a lot of it is not being scared to actually have real conversations with directors. I think too many times as designers, we reach out and say, hey, can you review my portfolio? Instead of saying, can you review my portfolio and tell me what skills I'm not showing you that that you would want to see? And I think that starts helping people understand, is the software company looking for problem solving or are they looking for very high visual design? Yeah. And I think that's a better conversation to have than just sending a portfolio over and say, does it look good? Yeah. That's what we get. I get people to review the portfolios here. Uh, they'll send their stuff in, like all the junior students that are out there looking for jobs. They'll send their stuff in, and they'll be like, "What are you looking for?" And I'm like, "I'm looking to talk to you because I need to figure out how you make a decision." Yeah. Uh, so I don't care about that. <laughs> yep. But yeah, that because that's a different nuance for us. Is like we're 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 really focused on uh, because we have a complex product. So on our team, we're really focused on the complexity and and not necessarily some of the other things that other people would look for yeah it's, it's just a crazy thing to think about i think there's also another huge opportunity that we have and right now there's so much amazing content of what ux is the value of different um, articles so i was looking i guess last night and and saw articles from a b testing to carousels on mobile devices or gorilla testing and I think a lot of times we have these great articles, we read it and we say, I got to go gorilla test my mm-hmm. stuff tomorrow. So there's a Starbucks across the street. Let's go camp out there all day. Yeah. And then you say, oh, at Rice Point, we do quality software. What's my likelihood that the person over there is going to be one of our persona types? Yeah. Not very high. So I think a lot of times too, when we read these articles, we need to think, for the job I have or the job I want to get into, how does this apply? Mm-hmm. So how does A-B testing work in enterprise software versus um, an e-commerce site? And I think the more that we start understanding the size of the user base, for instance, enterprise software, how many different personas are there? Yeah. Man, you could get into so many variances of just a single persona versus e-commerce, you might have one person that you really build for, or maybe it's a little bit more diverse than that. You have a low spender, a high spender, yeah, those kind, but you're not worrying about permissions and sharing and 
maybe in the same way that you would. Yeah, the goals the are going to be vastly different for those users than they would in software. Yep. And I think the more you think about that, and when you use a product, you say, who is this built for? What are, what are my objectives by using this? So everybody uses Slack. Mm-hmm. What was Slack built for? Probably originally wasn't built to be as amazing as it is now. You think of all the companies it goes out to. But when I first started using it, it was very small team. Yeah. We want to do stuff quickly in-house. Now, luckily, they've been very successful and can reach uh, different use cases. But I think all of us use products all the time. Who are they solving for? What kind of skills, if I was to go work there, would they probably ask? Yeah. Do you use Sketch or XD? They're probably not <laughs> looking for high graphic design, right? That interface, Those interfaces are very boring on purpose. Um, so you're probably usually solving problems more there. And so I think the more as designers we can question what skills would that type of company be looking for, then we're not going in expecting something that's they're not going to be asking for. Mm-hmm. Well, I think so just to, just to kind of like uh, follow that, I think it was last night on Twitter when I was on Twitter. <laughs> You're on uh, Twitter every yeah, day. Yeah, somebody, somebody <laughs> tweeted something about if you, you would use Sketch, like the tool debate always goes on, right? Yep. And uh, designers yelling at each other over what tools they use, which just doesn't make any sense to me. But um, somebody brought up, yeah, if you're just a widget kind of person, you're just in a, you're just in an assembly line, you would definitely use Sketch mm. as more of like a slight to like the intelligence of somebody who would use Photoshop. Yeah. And I was like, well, yeah, it's a totally different game. Like at that point, like it's, you're not, why, why would I ever use Photoshop to design a product? Like I did for years. It was, it was mm-hmm. horrific. Yeah. But if I'm going to, you know, paste your nose on my face, I'm definitely going to use Photoshop. Like yep. that's what it's supposed to be, right? Yeah. And uh, and and at least having that understanding, I think, in the design community itself would be nice. That kind of clarification or some kind of understanding between the disciplines, so we know that there is a difference. We're we're all UX designers, or we're all designers. But like, um, yeah, what what's your focus? What's my focus? What's the differences? What's the nuances? Because the tools should be different. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, somebody doing metal work is going to use, he's still a craftsman, but he's, he's working with metal versus wood. So it's, it involves a whole different set of tools. Yeah. I love that you bring that up because <clears throat> coming from an industrial design background, we never went into a project and said, I always use a table saw and wood. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you need, you work now at Xbox and you need to do 500 hand studies on what the controller is going to feel like. Can you imagine a table saw and wood? <laughs> No, you want foam and a rasp or a mill or something. And I think too many times in UX, we do the same thing. So actually on my team, I say, make sure you use a tool that you feel comfortable and you can get the, the prototype or the final design to into the developers or the user's hands as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. Now, if that happens to be Sketch and we use it all the time, great. If it's Adobe XD and you use it all the time, great. If it's the new Framer X, which is pretty cool, by the way. It's pretty, it's pretty nice Although so far. Yeah, you never know what, where it's going to go. But we have all of these great tools. Why do we say that we have to use one tool? Yeah. And why is one tool better than the next? Like It just totally depends on what you're doing. Yep. I will never, for the life of me, I don't think I have the intelligence to figure out the Illustrator. Like, hmm. I've taken college courses on Illustrator, and I still can't figure out how to use <laughs> the damn thing. And I'm like, this thing is must be super powerful. You can do really cool stuff with it. 
Yeah. I will never, I will never, whatever, whatever I'm supposed to do with Illustrator, I will never do it in my life. I was never smart <laughs> enough. We used it all the time at, at, when I worked at um, Workfront. Hmm. That was our primary tool for a long time. And I got all the tips and tricks out of that that I needed. But like you're saying, how, mapping gradients and all yeah. of the extra stuff that goes into it. But at the same time, if someone ever applied and that was their core tool, I wouldn't turn away saying, oh, well, we only use Sketch and we only accept people with Sketch yeah. skills, right? Like, I think that's one of the core, when you talk about these core skills, can you use a vector-based tool? After that, it's hot key learning. Yeah. A rectangle in Illustrator, a rectangle in Photoshop, a rectangle in Sketch or XD. It's all a rectangle. Yeah. <laughs> well, and the goal would be different too. Like, uh, the tool, the tool doesn't necessarily dictate the goal. The goal should dictate the tool, mm-hmm. I, I feel like. Yep. But that doesn't necessarily mean like the goal is efficiency and, and being quickly and moving as quickly as possible through 52 views this week right? yep. when you're designing a product. Um, then sure, use whatever tool you can. Like, I mean, as long as you can meet the goal, I think you're fine. Maybe there's a tool that maybe, you know, Sketch or another tool is built to be more efficient. Yep. But if you're, yeah, if you're an Illustrator person, you use it, Photoshop, whatever, use it. Um, you know, versus if, you know, you're working on three files and you're, you're pixel perfect and you're, you're really into like the graphic design thing that you're working on and it takes more time then it's, yeah, then of course you're going to be less, it's less, the goal is less efficiency. The goal is more quality. So then it, it shifts. Yeah. And so I you think- would use a tool like Illustrator versus Sketch because you just bang your head on the ground with Sketch to do something like that. And then back to kind of add the layer that we've been talking about, once you sprinkle on, that's kind of the design and the user goals. But what's the team goals and the company goals? Mm-hmm. So now all of a sudden, if I work for a, a team that's got a scale, I've got 100 designers. We might have to dictate that all final design is done in a system where we can have all of our components, our design system created so that we can quickly reference those and build into it. So that's also one of the benefits of understanding these different. Am I going to go in and be a sole designer where I can do whatever I want? (laughs) Or am I going to have to go into an environment and live by a design system and really have to um, maybe give up some of my creative freedom Mm -hmm. because... We have a system in place and a list always looks like a list Yeah. and a, a one third, two thirds layout typically function in a certain way. And so I think that's also the, the layer or lens that we have to put on with those goals as well. No, that's cool. I, I like that. Like tier one, basic design fundamentals for any discipline, right? And then tier two is mostly those secondary, those, those very specific for informational, like you said, informational software, e-commerce, Apps, games, kind of VR stuff, more fun stuff. Yeah, and then uh, and then the service design stuff. Like the the goals are very different in all in all five of those disciplines. So yep. yeah, require different skills. Um, yeah, did you have anything else to to add? No, I just I think this is just a great topic um, for us to really start talking about as a UX community. The more that we can understand what are the differences, I think the more our our hiring process works because we can actually say these are the skills that are unique to my industry or to my mm-hmm. company and we don't have to be scared that people won't like us <laughs> like how many times have you like one of the things that i really prefer is 
portfolios that aren't medium articles, which I know is blasphemy. <laughs> but most of the time, I just I don't want to read a whole bunch. I just want to quickly see what was your thought process. Give me some quick images. Give me quick paragraphs. But when I've said that before, people are like, what? <laughs> you just broke the whole UX industry. And I think too many times we make our UX posting so generic that we have to weed through. Yeah all of the candidates instead of saying this is what we know we want someone who is great with a design system can add components for a reason and know how they behave across the whole system versus hey we want someone high visual that is going to come in here and make just kick-ass games yeah and i think as we do that as a community then we're going to be a little more smarter better hiring and we won't have those people at the beginning of their career that jump every year yeah. And we say, oh, they must not be good. Actually, they just didn't understand what that job was going into it, mm-hmm. where we might actually get to a point when you hire someone, they stay there for two, three, five years. Yeah, hopefully. That would be awesome. <laughs> I, I I, mean, I was a, I jumped at the beginning of my career purposely. Like I yep. knew when I started my career, um, I started a startup, like a really small startup in mobile application. So when I started, I knew that was one niche of the internet that I could design for of digital design. And so, uh, I knew there was other stuff like, uh, advertising, you know, uh, digital advertising was another one I was curious about. Uh, software was one I was really curious about. Um, and so I, I found jobs in those areas. My first, my first three or four years, so I could figure out what I liked and what I was good at and what my strengths and weaknesses were. But yeah, if you knew that ahead of time or even had some of that education in whatever school you went to, whether it was like an online boot camp or a university, like that would be, that would be phenomenal to know. Prepare people before they get out there. And yeah, it makes a huge difference. Come from industrial design, we would have people their senior year of college focus 100% on shoe design or car design, or I just want to be a generalist. So I'll take a little bit of all the courses. And it really prepared people to hit the market and be good mm-hmm. instead of coming out and wondering, I'll just take the first UX job that comes along and then they end up hating it. Yeah, spending the first six months to a year trying to learn the discipline. And it turns out, oh, software is really boring to me. I want to go do games. <laughs> yeah, right? that's a, if, that, if they would have known that at the beginning, that's a huge career help for them to not be stuck in a job they might not like. Yeah. Nice. Well, thanks for coming on. Yeah. Willing to talk about this anytime. I think it's, it's a good topic. We're in the industry now, man. We're up there with Spec FM, five by five, serial, serial. Yeah. We're up there, right in there. Like even CNN, all those guys, they all have their podcast. Mm-hmm. NPR, they yeah. can't. We're with them now. Yeah, exactly. we're in it. That's very true. Yeah, we're in it, Andy. Thanks to thanks to people like uh, Mr. Carter, and that was a great conversation with Mr. Carter. Loved it. AKA Jeff. Yes. Jeff Carter. Jeff Carter. Um, so if you want to continue the conversation that you just heard. Uh, go to designmuch.org and leave a comment on the post. If you think this topic would benefit another designer or even your team, feel free to share it and get them involved in the conversation as well. Uh, one quick announcement. 
Uh, the next Lunch UX, if you're in Utah, in Salt Lake City, on September 28th, come visit us at Lunch UX. Uh, Trey Winterton will be teaching us about, um, what's he teaching us about? Do you remember? Um, it's user research. It is user research. Um, let me pull it out really quick. But so, you can go to meetup.com forward slash lunch UX for more details. But yeah, what's he going to teach us, Andy? Can you find it? <laughs> Sorry, I'm, looking. I'm not fast <laughs> enough. My fingers are moving, <laughs> but they're not fast well, enough. Well, we're coming off a of summer vacation. Yeah. And so I, I get I get it. We're a little sloth-like. And I have not been exercising. Yeah. Um, how to communicate research insight so others can care. That's a good one. Yeah, because we do research, but then we do research, we put it together, we put it in a Google Drive, we do whatever with it, right? And yeah. it's like, do people even really care about this? Or how do I get it out to people, right? Yeah. So Trey's going to teach us about that. Yeah, LunchUX, September 28th, uh, meetup.com slash LunchUX. Uh, like I mentioned, we're back from a summer vacation. It was kind of not really a planned summer vacation, but more of just kind of a lazy, like a lazy summer vacation. Yeah, we we kind of needed a break. We thought you guys might need a break from us, <laughs> <laughs> especially from me. So, yeah, your, your terrible over, voice. Yeah. It's hurting people's ears. <laughs> exactly. We had lots of complaints. <laughs> um, but over that over that break, we had two really exciting listener news come up, right? Two really exciting things happen because of you, the listeners. Like, to you, the listeners. Yeah. Uh, one, we discovered a Medium post. Um, Pablo, he wrote a Medium post about accessibility from Carlos's podcast. He wrote a nice Medium post. We'll put it in the show notes or whatever, the link to it. Um, but, yeah, the stuff he basically wrote, the stuff that he learned on accessibility, how he's applying it, and that kind of stuff, uh, what he's learning. So, um, yeah, great for him to have get some information from the podcast. We that's the whole point, right? Andy? Yeah, that's that's why we're doing this. So, other than so the big dollars, learn. other than the big money, because we each have a two million dollar contract per episode. Yeah, I'm I'm working on getting mine higher, but yeah, basically, which would totally be fair. Totally yeah, be absolutely. Fair. Um, yeah. So besides besides that, we want we want to help listeners out. That's why we that's why we uh, that's why we wanted to start this thing, man. Yeah, man. The second thing, total shock out of nowhere. We hired a guy here at Canopy that was a listener to the podcast. Yeah. That's how he discovered Canopy. Listening to design. Listening to this podcast. Yeah, man. And uh, he's really good, and we hired him. So uh, Jason Metzger, one of our listeners, is now working with us. Yeah. So that's awesome. Um, yeah. So miracles happen. They do. Miracles happen. Podcast miracles happen. Yeah. This podcast is working. That, that $2 million episode thing is not... Like, the investors are not losing their money on that. No way. Not at all. <laughs> uh, but speaking of people learning and writing me in posts and getting jobs and stuff like that, uh, Andy, what did you learn from Mr. Carter? You know, that was a, that was a great episode. Um, and it, it is something, like, that I think I have never actually thought about. Like, I've, I understand, like, there's differences in terms of UX disciplines, but I haven't thought of, like, how you can categorize them and learn from them and what benefits you can get from that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I loved how he, he had those separated into those two tiers. Um, he had that first tier of design um, principles or UX principles um, where basically um, you are doing the core basics of UX. And then the second tier is the everything that's specific in that that specific discipline. So I love that. And there's a lot of things that you get in terms of benefits um, from actually understanding the differences between those t- 
tier two um, different um, those tier two design disciplines and those can be like you can have a better hiring process if you understand what it takes to be part of you know your specific discipline and what other disciplines have you can know somebody is either a great fit or maybe not a great fit for the position that you're hiring for yeah um, also like with this understanding as a designer you can educate yourself a lot better so you can learn the tools that you need to know um, you can also learn um, what are the core specific principles for your discipline so as you do that you're not looking in some other place and learning principles that don't apply to your discipline so i really like that um, and as you're growing in your careers as well like something that you said like when you started out you were trying to figure out how like which of the disciplines work best for you which are more mm -hmm. Um, best for your interests and your abilities so you can develop them sooner and um, of course advance yourself further in your chosen discipline and of course like to top it off I loved how he said like it is hard to figure out and learn all the different core you know strengths you need for each discipline um, but you can begin to learn that by actually reaching out to people of those disciplines like directors and saying like what what are you looking for when you're hiring um, what are the specific skills that you need in order to do it so I think that's it's a good start in order to like figure out you know what what actually makes up those disciplines. Yeah, I think I think it's really good information to know. I think it's kind of nice to have it like formalized too, in a way, because I think I think a lot of times we we've known this that yeah. there's different disciplines within the discipline. Yeah, but, we, we know it, but yeah, but like, we don't really bring it up or we don't really have a formalized uh, way of looking at it, right? Yeah, which I kind of liked. That was one thing. So we broke it down to kind of like, <clears throat> I think over the last, what, 10, 15, 20 years, right? UX has just gotten bigger mm -hmm. and it's more broad now. It's being applied to more industries and uh, more digital products. Um, and I like I like his categories. I think they make sense. He's got an informational software, e-commerce, apps, games, VR, and then service design. And I feel like those are really, like those are really good uh, subcategories because I think a lot of times, like when we're when we talk to each other, we're both like if if there's me and an agency designer and we're chatting about something, like their vision of UX is different than my vision of UX, and you know the reverse, right? Mm -hmm. Like it just means different things, and um, and we've done that too. Like we've worked on websites. You've done that, right? Mm -hmm. Like the UX, your UX experience previous to like here was a different is a different thing because. You're just working on a different product, yeah. even though it's digital design, right? Um, so I like those categories and understanding those things. I, I kind of like this tie-in with industrial design. How he's talking about when uh, when he was learning industrial design, they kind of ask him that at the mm -hmm. beginning, like what kind of things you want to do. Uh, I think most things places to do that. Like if I, I mean, like if you're going to business, you know, become a businessman, yeah, Mister Business. <laughs> Um, you kind of pick one of those areas of business that you're going to focus on. Or if you go into communications, you do the same thing. Like, are you going into like written communications? Are you going into radio? Are you going into, you know, what are you going to be, um, you know, when you grow up kind of thing, right? Like, like UX design now, I think, or just design in general is so big now that it's not just design anymore. Yeah. Um, I did like the tier one, tier two aspect things. I was like, maybe there, is there a tier three? Is there a tier four? Is there more tiers? There might be. There's no more tiers. You see? See you get that? <laughs> uh, yeah, but maybe there's more. Maybe there's even more specific things inside of uh, those elements that you can learn, right? Yeah. Um, 
And then I really loved his tablecloth uh, outline business. That could be pretty. I good. think that's revolutionary, and I'm. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think anybody should take his idea. I think you should contact Jeff Carter if you want in on his business. Yeah, yeah, you should partner with yeah. him. Yeah, don't steal from him. But I really love it. It's change the. It'll change the landscape of catering forever. <laughs> um. Yeah, yeah, that was an overall. That was like a really good episode. That's something I never really thought about. Yeah. I know I've thought about it, but I've never really thought about it. Yeah, exactly. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah totally. No, but it really is like a really cool concept to, to actually put those in, as you said, like formalize it and put those in those boxes because then you can really break it down that way and understand it a lot better. Um, and I think as you do, like we can learn from each other and we can learn what, what – take what it takes to do one thing what it takes to do another thing and there's differences and what i really loved is it's really hard as you said this it's really hard to have a ux unicorn mm-hmm. because there's so many different disciplines That's and so you can't broad, just yeah. know everything so and, and i loved his you know analogy you can't expect somebody who designed shoes to know how to design a car and to even go further into how to design the electrical and the brake system of the car yeah. like the engineering aspect of it and should you know like the traditional software designers that design enterprise also get into the engineering of what they're doing, like the coding, mm-hmm. right? Maybe not. So I don't know. I think all car designers should be electrical engineers too. <laughs> maybe. I don't know. Just saying maybe that, maybe they would know their medium. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think this topic would make a, a, a good lunch UX? Here locally for Salt Lake, like a, a good topic for lunch UX. I think it could for sure. I it mean, could. Hmm, maybe. I think it might bring some people together, learn <laughs> some things from each other. Yeah, we get pizza. <laughs> we could sit. We get. We could have informational pizza, software pizza, e-commerce pizza, apps, games, VR pizza, and service design pizza. Oh yeah. And then when people come we in, we won't tell pizza. anybody. And then when people come in, depending on what pizza they pick, we'll know what category they fall in as UX designers. Yeah, it's like a good game to play. Right? It'll make them all sit in their their own categories and yeah, yeah, yeah. separate everybody, right? Yeah, that's always a good separate but equal. Historical historically, that's always been a good thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, Andy, what else is going on? What else? What else happened over the summer when we were off for a month and a half in the summer? <laughs> what else happened? Was there anything else that happened? Uh, dude, I don't know. <laughs> Framer X just came out. That's true. Today, it did come out so today. So two things two things happened today, right? Two things. Two big monumental things happened today. FramerX came out. It's out of beta now, right? Still working on it. Like it's all they're progressing. It's not perfect, right? But they're mm-hmm. still working on it. It's pretty sweet. We've been playing around with it here. Tons of potential. It's really it's really cool. Uh, second thing, National Hamburger Day. Isn't that what you told me earlier? That's true. It's National Hamburger Day. That's what all my like fast food apps are telling me today mm-hmm. <laughs> so if you're listening to this podcast right now you miss national hamburger day but that's no excuse to not go grab a hamburger this afternoon and chat with your buddies about framer x that's true you got to support the hamburgers yeah. it's it's important you yeah. have to go take, hamburgers are good things part. they are do you do you get uh uh first of all what's your favorite hamburger place hmm my favorite hamburger place is local to Salt Lake City, hmm. Crown Burger. Crown Burger is it delicious. It is lovely. Do, is, do you think Crown Burger is different than uh, Astro Burger? I don't think it's that different. Okay, so you would you would take Astro Burger or Crown Burger, right? 
either or? Yeah, basically. Okay. I'm not sure about the fry difference, honestly. I need to really have a, a close sit down, decide which one's different. Yeah. Cranberger fries are great. I'm not sure Astro, Astro Burger fries. Yeah. Couldn't tell you. For, for those listening to us in uh, France right now, for instance, don't know anything about Utah or uh, Salt Lake City. Uh, we have a we have a we have a series of restaurant chains locally here in Utah. That made no sense. Series of restaurant chains, <laughs> but they're all owned by a Greek family, and I believe I could be wrong. They could they could call in the lines open. They can call in and, and clarify this. But uh, <laughs> but uh, no, I believe all the brothers own different. Like there's a there's a family. All the brothers and sisters, each one of them own a different. Uh, chain, yeah. but they're all basically the same, yeah. right? The recipes are pretty close. They all have their different nuances. Like some of them have fry sauce and some of them don't. I think if I'm right, if I remember right, which some people I'm not, might sure. not know what fry sauce yeah. is. Yeah, it's it's mayo chup. If you're if you're insulted by that, that's basically what fry sauce is. <laughs> Freaking Heinz, yeah, mayo. What the? It's fry sauce, dude. They it's call it mayo chup. Mayo chup. Mayo chup. Like mayonnaise ketchup. Oh, come on. Yeah, they ruined it. Yeah. Yeah, it's freaking fry sauce. Fry sauce. Fry sauce. That's what you use for it. Yeah. Although, you can dip anything in in fries. It's like, it's not limited to fry sauce. It's just um, made for fries. It's just, it's it's specifically made to enhance the experience of eating fries, french fries. And it's wonderful. I, yeah. If, if you haven't tried it before, mm-hmm. you know, go to your nearest ketchup bottle, mayo bottle, mm-hmm. mix them together and put mix some fries together. in it. And you can play around with the mix, too. Yeah. Like... You can add a little bit more mayo, add a little bit more ketchup, uh, changes the flavor. I kind of like it with a little bit more mayo, and uh, I don't want to spoil anything, but the purple turtle puts pickle juice in theirs. Yeah. Fantastic. I don't think I've tried that yet. Sounds odd, doesn't it? It Pickle does juice, kind of. but it's freaking, it's delicious. Yeah. Freaking delicious. Is it just the pickle juice, or are there actually like... Like, is it chopped up pickles or? No, I think it's just the juice, just like from the juice. jar of pickles. Right. I think they just, just pour that in there. Got to use that stuff too, right? Yeah. <laughs> they don't want to. Do, well, that's the purple. They don't. Nothing's wasted. They use everything in their food. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, the, my other question to you about a hamburger, about the, the burger, is do people really order a hamburger anymore? Because isn't cheese, isn't cheese a requirement on a hamburger? I don't think so. If if you go to a dollar menu like um, like McDonald's, you can yeah. get a hamburger and a cheeseburger, like the dollar. I know, but do people like? That's the bigger question for all you listeners out there. Is anybody working McDonald's in the data <laughs> science department? Let us know if anybody orders hamburgers. I think if you go to McDonald's and say, "I want the value hamburger," you're not going to get a cheeseburger. Well, I know you're not going to get a cheeseburger, but how many people are actually doing that? I guess is my. Is my point. Like when you go to Wendy's and get a single, like you add cheese. That's just the expected thing, mm-hmm. right? You're like, hey, I want a, I want a single with cheese. That's like true. There's, there's not really a single. It doesn't make sense. I completely agree. I don't think there should be, like it should always have cheese. Yeah. And you should say, if you don't want cheese, I don't want cheese on it. It should be a, a basic yeah, standard it should be of a ta- It should be a takeoff item, right? Exactly. Just like, you know, the basic, like you got your lettuce, tomatoes, mm-hmm. ketchup, yeah, mayo. That, that's like... Basic stuff. I think cheese should go there. I totally agree with you. But that's that's a hamburger. Yeah. Like in my mind, a hamburger has cheese on it. That's true. There's no such thing as a cheeseburger. That's like that's like ordering a pizza without cheese on it. <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah. You're like, I want a pizza with cheese on it, and they're like, Well, it comes with cheese on it. I'm like, I know, because it's a pizza. Yeah. That's part of its ingredient, right? That's very true. 
when I when I'm barbecuing in my backyard, I make hamburgers. All of them have cheese on them. All of them. And I don't yeah. call them cheeseburgers. No. I'm not making cheeseburgers in my backyard. Nope. But they all have cheese on them. Oh, yep. I totally agree with you. Yeah, meat, cheese, and then and then. Uh, oh, the other thing too. I, this happened to me the other day. Uh, toppings and condiments for a hamburger. Okay. Since it's Hamburger Tuesday or Hamburger Day of the Year, whatever you called it. <laughs> uh, what is there a difference between condiments and toppings? Oh man, I I. I cannot tell you for sure the, the line <laughs> that you can cross, right? But my, I, I can tell you what I think it is. I can tell you what I think it is. But I'm going to say a topping is like lettuce, tomatoes, onions. And a condiment is like the sauce you're putting in or like pepper or whatever, right? Yes. Condiments are the sauces, right? Yeah. Toppings are the vegetables or potato chips or whatever else you're going to put on it, right? Exactly. That's right. Now, if you go to a place, I'm not going to mention their name, but you go to a place around here, rhymes with Smulvers, <laughs> okay. they ask you when you order, like, what condiments do you want on your hamburger? And so, of course, I said, I said, uh, I said ketchup and mustard, right? I'm like, that's what condiments I want on my hamburger. Yeah. I get the friggin' hamburger and it has no <laughs> lettuce, no tomato, no onion, nothing on it. Because apparently condiments are anything that you add onto the hamburger over no. that, that joint. What, is, is the bread a condiment at that point? Yeah. That's ridiculous. Fortunately, it came with bread. <laughs> it, came, it came in a bun. Well, according to their logic, the bread should be a condiment. Yeah. Well, I ordered a cheeseburger, and then they were like, well, what kind of condiments do you want? And I, so in my mind, I'm like, oh, just ketchup and mustard, right? That's all I need. Yeah. And then <laughs> assuming, assuming that the picture on the menu had lettuce and tomato. I assumed it came with that, right? Yeah. And then it came out terrible U terrible UX. That's horrible. Terrible UX. It, it's very typical that you get your stuff and the condiments, like you get your bag of your hamburger, your greasy bag of hamburger, <laughs> whatever, and your fries. And then your condiments are what you take to like the table you get like your sauces. Mm-hmm. You get your your fry sauce. You get your mustard. Yeah, and then you lift the bun, you squirt the stuff on there, exactly. and close that bun down then. That's your condiment on. table. Mm-hmm. Those are condiments. Yeah. Those aren't toppings. No. Toppings are totally different. They are wrong. Also, when you put a burger together, have you ever been to these places that put like the lettuce on the bottom? Yeah. Like lettuce and onions and everything on the bottom and then the burger and then the cheese and then the bun on top of that? Does that seem right? You know what? I have actually had to change my ways recently. When I would build burgers, (laughs) I would do it that way. I would put the lettuce and all the stuff and put the burger on top. Yeah. I was doing it wrong. I think... I think you actually <laughs> showed me my my. It was from the ways. Google emoji, right? Yeah. Didn't they mess? Didn't Google they, mess up the they emoji? They messed it and up, and everyone broke the out. internet for a while. <laughs> the world was very upset. <laughs> so t- there's a visual hierarchy to this, yeah, right? Yeah, and it's also like it's good like usability because otherwise everything's just going to slip around. Yeah, it just slides off. So putting the burger on the very bottom, then you got your. Then what, what comes after next? What do you do? How do you build it? Is it lettuce then tomatoes? Well, you, I do. Yeah, you don't do tomatoes. Do I don't you? do tomatoes because I use ketchup. I don't need. <laughs> I don't need to add more tomatoes to that. All right, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> you do the bottom of the base bun, right? Then the burger. I think the burger goes on the base bun. Now, I think it's allowed. I think you could put. I think. I think there's room for like if you're putting. Uh, if you're putting, uh, what do they call the pickle stuff where they grind it up into like a sauce? Uh, yeah, that's called relish. 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 
Okay. I think that's a good spot for relish or something. It gives the burger like a little thing to sit on. Yeah. A little texture down there. I think that's a good spot for relish. Or if you're going to put fry sauce on a burger, I think that's the best place to put it is on that bottom bun. Really? So you put... So bottom what about, bun. What about mayo? You don't put that... Or okay. mayo. Yeah. Which... Okay, so you are like you're, you're lighter, you're lighter, your uh, your lighter toppings, your more uh, top condiments. Sorry, your uh, <laughs> your more beige, white beige condiments go on the bottom. Okay, because <clears throat> even even the even the relishes, it's all chopped up and it's kind of you know it's kind of clearish, it's kind of greenish but mm-hmm. kind of clear. Those I think go on the bottom, right? Yeah, and then the burger, you get the nice brown burger right on top, and then. Cheese obviously goes on there. It's already on there. Yeah. yeah, it's already melted on there. It comes with the burger, right? And then you put the lettuce. And then I think under the lettuce is where you put all the other toppings. So you start, that. that's the base. Okay. And then if you're going to put ketchup and mayonnaise, you're going to put something else on there, like a condiment, you put it on top of that and then stick that thing on. Gotcha. But if you're going to put onions or tomatoes, things like that. That's why I don't know, because I, I I'm not an onion-tomato guy oh, I on am. my burger. Do you do it under the lettuce or above the lettuce? I feel like a lettuce is, is like a good like blanket for the onions and tomatoes. Ooh, I like the I like the analogy. Yeah, man. <laughs> so put it all under the blanket so that the burger's nice and cozy. Yeah. And then put the lid on top of it. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. So so tell me, what is your burger place? What is my burger place? Yeah. Uh really anywhere. Kind of like burgers. Anywhere. Yeah. Burgers. Yeah, I have a hard time. You know, Surprising, one of the greatest burgers of all time is the Double Dell at Del Taco. <laughs> this I've heard this before. Yeah, yeah. This is this I've... is a phenomenal thing. Like, like Burger King has tacos. Yeah. Well, first of all, nobody should really eat a Burger King for anything. No, you should. Never. Yeah, it's not. It's not the. I mean, thank you. But just don't go there. But they have tacos there, and people like that. But that's nothing. Like, uh, people are like, oh, don't go to you don't go to Del Taco to get a hamburger. I'm like, yeah, you do. Because that Double Dell is fantastic. I don't know what kind of... They got this thing called burger sauce, whatever that is. So is it the sauce that sets it apart? I don't think it's the sauce. I think it's, the, I think it's everything. It's the love. Okay. It's the love they put into you it taste or something. Yeah. All right. It does have onions in it. And I like it because they're not just the... Re- they're not just sliced onions. Mm-hmm. They're the minced up. I get it. Minced? Oh, okay. Is that the word? They're the minced up ones. They, they slide in there yeah. and that's part of the sauce. Okay, part of the yeah. sauce. Put a little magic sauce on there. It's pretty fantastic. Well, I should try it. So it's the double. There's it's not a like double. a single. I don't think there's a single Dell. Not okay. that I've ever. You can get the double. The double Dell is the only one I know of. Um, and it has cheese, right? Yeah, obviously it has okay, cheese. Good. But it's kind of like a taco on a <laughs> on a hamburger. <laughs> All right. <laughs> sort of. It's fantastic. We should get one after this. Maybe we should. To celebrate National Hamburger Day. <laughs> should be International Hamburger Day. Is it international or national? I don't know. Let me see. Because I just got like a notification from my Wendy's app. It is National Hamburger Day. <laughs> from your Wendy's app? Yeah, man. Wendy's app. Pro tip. Month of September, you get a free Dave single with any purchase. If does have it have cheese app. on it? It has cheese on it. The Dave single has cheese on it? Do you have to? Because if it's free, does it come with the free cheese? I think so. But you have to pay like 32 cents extra. <laughs> it's got the cheese. Oh, it's got the cheese it's on it. It's got the yeah, cheese. Yeah. And it's even stacked right the right way. It's got mm-hmm. the burger on the bottom. Yeah. The bun. Burger on the bottom. Yeah. Lower that center of gravity on that thing. Yeah, so you don't slip up. All right. Well, does, this, does this conclude another uh, epic, thrilling episode of 
the design much podcast epic and thrilling absolutely yeah yeah